In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Before the world was created, God is. God dwells in eternity outside of time and space. And in an instant, before the creation of the world, God perceived all of creation, all of what we call history. And he perceived in that instant and knew all that we are doing now, all that those who come after us will do, and all that those have done before. And he knew that we would choose death and sin. And his response was not to limit creation. His response was not to go in another direction, but to create the world and to give us the opportunity, the free will, to choose life, to choose him, or to choose death. This is a problem that many people have with uh, the understanding of God. They say, how could a good God allow suffering? How could a good God make a world where so many bad things happen? And their confusion, their lack of understanding is what love is in itself. They don't understand that love requires free will. That to love, we have to be able to make the choice. And that choice is often selfishness, the opposite of love. We always have to have the opportunity to choose ourselves over those that we love, to do for ourselves rather than those that the Lord has given us. And so he didn't make us to be rocks. He didn't make us houses or even robots. He gave us the ability to love. He gave us the choice to choose him and to choose life or to choose ourselves in selfishness and to choose death. And his choice was to give himself for us. His choice in creation, his knowledge that we would choose sin and death and that we would fall away from him, his response to that was to come into creation himself, to enter into creation in a more bold way than he ever had before as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to take all of the sin of the world, all of the consequence of that fallenness upon himself. He takes it all upon himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes it to his trial before Herod and Pilate. He suffers death. And he descends into hell. And he takes all of our sin and the consequences of it with him into hell. And that's where he leaves it. He leaves it there where it belongs. And he rises up in eternity and everlasting life. And he brings us up and all of creation with him into eternity. Jesus walks amongst the apostles once he has accomplished this task of defeating sin and death. And he appears to them over 40 days. You might think that 40 is a random number. You might think that 40 just is uh, some happenstance number. If that's the case, then you forgot about the 40 days of flood. If that's the case, then you forgot that Moses, where we read about him today, is 40 days on the mountain. You forget about the 40 years in the wilderness. You forget about the 40 days of Christ and his temptation. Over and over again, the Lord shows us this number 40, where he goes and where he cleanses and he remakes, he reestablishes creation. And that's what he does after the resurrection. He remakes and he reestablishes his connection with his disciples. And he shows them how it is that they're supposed to live and what it is that they're supposed to do. And at that day, the 40th day, which is always on a Thursday, because Easter was on a Sunday... On that day, he ascends on a cloud into heaven. And sometimes we have a picture of this, like Christ is flying, like he's a bird or he's on a plane, and that heaven is up there someplace in the clouds. This isn't the case at all. Jesus is going from that place where he is in eternity, outside of creation, and he is re-exiting creation 
time and space, and he is going back into eternity. And he's doing it in a cloud. You remember the cloud because Moses here in chapter 28 in Exodus is in a cloud. Do you remember that? The Lord has been leading the people of God in the pillar of cloud. This is where God is. You remember that he takes them out of Egypt where they had been in slavery. He takes them across the Red Sea, leads them into the Sinai wilderness. He takes them to Mount Sinai. And then you remember that he takes Moses up on the mountain and up on the mountain the cloud descends where God meets Moses. And God is speaking with Moses up on that mountain during this passage that we read today. See, the Lord is meeting him in this cloud. That is God who is eternally outside of time and space, outside of creation, bridges that gap and he meets Moses in the cloud and he teaches the people of God how it is that they're supposed to to worship him, how it is that they're supposed to interact with him. The Lord is reminding the people you're more than this physical stuff. You have eternity within you and your souls and you have to know how to touch eternity, and I'm going to show you how to do that as children. How do we show children how to do anything? We teach them and play. And so the Lord gives Moses instructions on how the nation of Israel is supposed to play in this dollhouse of the tabernacle. We're in the middle of this instruction that the Lord is giving Moses about how to build the tabernacle, what kind of cloth to use, what the pillars are supposed to be, the staffs, how it is that the priests are supposed to be um, clothed. We read that the priests are supposed to be clothed with these garments of beauty that remind them of the beauty of creation and where they have written upon their chest the names of the people of Israel so that they're reminded of their task to be constantly in intercession for the people of God. And so they build this dollhouse of the tabernacle that reminds them God created the universe, God created heaven and earth, God created the earth and the sea and the sky and all that's represented in the tabernacle. God created man who's represented by Aaron. Man goes into the tabernacle to worship and when he's there he's supposed to sacrifice himself and he's supposed to give offerings and intercession for the people. This is instruction for us today. We too are supposed to be priests. We too are entering into creation. We too are supposed to be praying, right? When we had the baptisms recently and we asked who will support these people in their baptismal vows, what did we respond? We said, We will. We will. We are a priesthood of all believers. It is our responsibility, it is our duty to be constantly, every day, interceding for one another in prayer. And so he shows the people of God, he shows Aaron and Moses how it is that they're supposed to learn how to bridge the gap between eternity and creation and how it is that they're supposed to worship God and intercede for one another. And of course, they don't do it. They fail. Sorry to ruin the end of the story there for you. They don't succeed. They can't. They're fallen. Jesus comes and he says, I will make all things new. I will make all things renewed. And now the tabernacle is not a tent or a building of stones on a certain corner, on a certain street in Jerusalem, he says, the temple now is my body. He says, you're not going to sacrifice lambs. He says, I am the Paschal Lamb, once sacrificed. He says, you have no need for a sacramental priest to offer sacrifices. I will be your priest. 
And here in John's Gospel, chapter 17, Jesus is offering what we call the high priestly prayer. The high priestly prayer. Jesus is saying, I am the high priest. It is my job to intercede for my people and for my Father in heaven. And I am going to bridge the gap for them. And I am going to show them how to unite with eternity. So Jesus is showing and teaching us and praying to the Father all at the same time. How heaven and earth come together. How eternity and creation come together in the person of Jesus. He bridges that gap and he brings us together. Do you see where he says that I am not of this world? Right? He's saying, I do not belong in creation. He's saying, I am eternal. I'm outside of creation. But he says, I'm in the world. Right? And then he says, my people are also not of the world. How is that? How are we not of the world? We're not of the world because we choose love. We're not of the world because we choose worship of the Most High in Heaven. We're not of this world because we're willing to sacrifice ourselves. It's not catch as catch can. It's not get as soon as you can. It's about sacrifice and about living according to God's commandments. When we do that, when we live according to the commandments, Jesus says, then you are in me as I am in the Father. And so he shows us, he says, mine are in this world, but they too are not in of this world. They too belong in eternity. And so he's showing us that we too belong in heavenly places, dwelling in eternity, sacrificing ourselves, and being intercessors for those that the Lord has given us. We too are supposed to be praying and interceding for those that the Lord has given us. And we're supposed to be participating in bridging that gap between eternity and creation. And he gives us some very complex ways of doing that. He gives us water. See how complex this is? Right? We use tap water. That's how expensive and hard to reach baptism is. We just need water out of the tap and then we wash. That's it. We've got something so complex and expensive as prayer. How much do we offer for baptism? How much do we charge? Nothing. It's free. It's freely given to us. We wash people with water and then we pray. That's the Spirit. And then we feed them with the blood of Christ, that is Holy Communion. So do you see what St. John is doing here? St. John is saying now, in his, in his first letter here, chapter 5, he's saying now that Christ has ascended, we have these simple tools that he has given us so that we too can bridge the gap between eternity and creation. What did he give us? He says three things, the Spirit, water, and the blood. So we pray for one another, we lay hands on one another, we wash each other in the water of baptism, and then we feed on the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And these are instruments, these are tools that have been given to us so that the windows of heaven are able to be opened. The windows of heaven are opened here in this place and when we pray so that the divine, the holy, is able to come and dwell in our midst and we in the midst of the holy and we are able to pray in unity with God our Father. That's what we're about to do at Holy Communion. We're going to say a prayer. We're going to say two very important words or one word twice. We're going to say the word with. We're going to say the word with with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. What we do here today, we are not doing alone. We are doing with angels and archangels 
and we are doing with all the company of heaven. Mystically, the Lord has given us these three tools so that we are able to open those windows into eternity, so that we are able to be out of the world as Jesus is, as he ascends to the Father in the cloud, going outside of time and space, and we are able to touch the divine and the eternal and the holy. And guess what? We don't just do it today. We're going to do it tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after that. Because we are a priesthood of all believers. We have been given the breastplate and the ephod. We've been given reminders. Every day, whatever that we need. Do you need to wear a cross to remind yourself? Do you need a ring to remind yourself? Do you need a prayer book, a Bible? What do you need to remind yourself that you are a priesthood of all believers and tomorrow and the next day, your job is to intercede for the people of God. There's no choice. This is our duty. This is our call. This is who we are. We are constantly interceding for the people of God. We are constantly asking that we pray with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven so that wherever we go, God is in our midst and those windows are open for his divine power and glory and love to shine forth from us for this day and forevermore.